0: Hope you get to do something fun this weekend. Got just a couple of announcements and then we're going to jump into our scripture. One is, is this is going to be our last week to RSVP for the ladies pool party, which is going to be At the end of the week on Friday, you can find that on our website. You can RSVP and if you do RSVP for that, then you will get sent instructions like time and place and and some of the finer details on that. But that's going to happen this Friday. So if that's something that you want to do or you want to pass it around, be sure to do that this week. Also, um, on the 27th of this month, which is three weeks from now, we are going to open up our four to six year old in kids' community. So this is a pretty big move for us. One of the ground rules we laid down for ourselves as a staff and as a leadership team is we were not gonna do more than what our church was ready for at the time. We weren't going to exhaust our volunteers yet we were going to reopen things at a pace that would make sense for legacy make sense for the community we're trying to serve we feel like we're probably around the 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 point where we can do this our four to six year olds and so if that is you doesn't mean that you have to put your kids back there because that's never been a rule that we've had it just means that it's available for you it's also available for your neighbors if they want to come in as a guest but they have kids around that age group We have a place for those kids now to learn and grow and thrive. That's going to be on the 27th. Um, And so those are the big announcements. Uh, But if you have a Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes 4. It's going to be a helpful passage for us. Ecclesiastes 4. We are moving through our series called Life Under the Sun. It's been helpful for a lot of people. I'm getting a lot of good feedback on it. Like I said, Labor Day is tomorrow. I know we all know a lot of people that are out of town right now. I don't know if you know this, America's had about 120 of these Labor Day weekends so far. It's a, it's a celebration of what we produce and what we achieve. That was the intent anyway. I think over time it has just turned into the third three-day weekend that we have, right? It's just the time where we slip out of town or we sleep in or we get up to the mountains. It's really nothing more than that for a lot of people. It's just a three-day weekend that is not Memorial Day weekend. But it is providential, meaning I feel like it's, it's helpful that the Lord might have timed things this way, that we are at our place in the book of Ecclesiastes where the preacher, Solomon in most cases, our narrator, our tour guide through this letter, through this book, is addressing work directly. He's speaking to work today. I'm not smart enough to have timed it this way, by the way. This is just the way it worked out. But it's interesting because he's been frustrated for the last three and a half chapters on this thing that he calls life under the sun. Living in this world detached from God as the source of ultimate meaning. So trying to grab and gather ultimate meaning from the things of the world. And he has come to the conclusion after every single little experiment that all of it is vain. It's futile. Doesn't make any sense. And this guy should know because he has tried it all. And just when it comes to work, That's what we're focusing on today. Most likely, Solomon, being a king, had a job that is very much not like your job. Your job was different. He was in rare air when it came to what an average workday looked like. This is a guy that could do anything he wanted. Casual Friday could be every day. There was no one that would ever tell him no. He had endless resource. He had endless opportunity. He put the very edges in the definition to what work looked like for him. This is gonna be important for you and me. Because we are tempted at all times to think that if we could change a few things about our job, that we can maybe make that job bring some ultimate meaning to us, right? If we were the regional manager instead of the assistant to the regional manager, things would be a lot smoother, would they not? Our job would be better, it would bring us more meaning. If our boss was different, if our job was different, if something, one little variable would spin in a different direction, our job could bring us ultimate meaning. But our tour guide did have every opportunity and he could bring definition to everything and it didn't do it for him. He said this a couple chapters ago in Ecclesiastes 2, stay where you're at. He says, I made great works. And now he's about to describe what an average work day was for him. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. This was a little bit of what his work looked like and he said it was vain, dumb, futile. Looked like it was gonna give him what he wanted but as soon as he grabbed it, he realized that there was no substance to it. I want you to see him erase all of our suspicions that all we need is a little bit, something different than what we have now because he had every opportunity. The translation to you and me is we are not one promotion away from finding ultimate meaning at work. We're not one boss away, one lateral move away, same job, different city away, nothing. In fact, the problem with your work isn't your work, it's you. It's you. It's what you're trying to get out of your job, It's what you're hoping that it brings to you other than a paycheck. The problem with work is not that it breaks us, it's that we break work. Let's look at how he says it in verse 4 of chapter 4. It's actually a short passage we're going through today, not a long one. This is what the narrator, the preacher he calls himself, which is where we get the word Ecclesiastes. He says to us in in, in verse 4 of chapter 4, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands And eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Here's the main idea we break work when we use it to deliver something of ultimate value to us. And he shows us three portraits of how that could look. One, we see someone that is fueled by this competitive rivalry, trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to get something that everyone else in the community has that they don't have. The second one is an absent worker who he calls a fool that kind of self-destructs in his own laziness. And the third is a worker with unsatisfied eyes who just can't stop working, just keeps, stacking carnival prizes week after week after week. They don't even know why they're doing it anymore, right? You see, we break work because of our theology of work. We have an odd theology of work. Even that phrase is a struggle for some of us, right? Because you didn't know that work would have something of a theology, but it does. We usually treat work as something that is secular, not spiritual, right? That's typically what we do. It's what we do to make money and that's pretty much where it stops. We see it as about as God glorifying as putting gas in our car or putting our shoes on or watering the lawn. That's how spiritual work is to us. And that's because, and we've talked about this on in, in a couple other occasions in different texts, we put our existence into two shoeboxes. One is called secular and the other one is called sacred. Our, our, our secular shoebox is full of things like college football or I don't know, doing your laundry, or going out with the guys, or doing something. So, spiritual, sacred, is something a little bit different. That is uh, taking communion together, praying, reading the Bible. But those are two totally separate shoe boxes. And one of the things we've tried to show through the Bible is that for the life of a Christian, someone who is saturated in Christ, fascinated by the gospel, someone who is in Christ, everything is spiritual. Everything is sacred. You could do everything to the glory of God. You could go to the gym later on today because it'll be too hot outside to do anything, right? You go to the gym later on today and you can do your reps to the glory of God. You could drink a beer, some of you, to the glory of God. Some of you cannot. That's a different sermon, right? You could do all kinds of things to the glory of God. The reason I'm bringing all of this up is because we tend to take our work and put it in this secular shoebox. That's something that you just do, it's how I make money. Friends, listen, work is hard and we all want less of it or we want our work to be less difficult, less of a struggle. And being a Christian won't change that. It won't. A Christ-centered theology of work does not erase the toil. It just finds meaning in a different way. Remove Jesus from how we see work and you will end up with something that is very frustrating and disappointing and nauseating. It's the portrait he's painting for us. I was running this by my wife earlier just to see if she remembers this song. But I remember my dad and all of his friends, they would sing this song and blast it from the radio. You know, it's this country music song from 1975 from a guy named Johnny Paycheck. Anyone ever heard that name before? Yeah, probably not his real name. But the name of the song was You Could Take This Job and Shove It. Name of the song. You've probably heard the song, even if you don't know who this guy is. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. My woman done left and took all the reasons I was looking, looking for. You better not try and stand in my way because I'm walking out the door. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. That's about as complicated as the song gets, right? It, it, it was the blue-collar anthem for all the working class that was getting just, just getting hammered by the man, right? They would sing it on Fridays, translates to this job stinks, and there's no good reason to stay in this job except for the fact that if I left this job, I'd just get into another job that was just as bad. <laughs> so I'm staying. But Friends, listen. You're a missionary if you're a Christian. Is this not what your neighbors think? Statistically, 80% of society wants to take their job and shove it. 80%. Now, if you're a Christian, You are a missionary. So I I know I said that uh, just assuming that you are. If you are in Christ, you need to know that you are in fact a missionary. You might be growing in it. You might despise it. You might be totally absent and apostate in the act of being on God's mission to the city. But you are a missionary. Best case scenario for those that you work with, play with, live next to. The worst case scenario is your neighbors, they, they hate their job. And they're just counting down the days until they can retire. Ever meet that person? It's like they got a calendar. It's like every day they put a red X on the next day. They cannot wait to walk out the door. That's worst case scenario. Best case scenario, they like their job. They used to love it. It's grown some tarnish over time because it never quite delivered on what they'd hoped it would do. It never met up to the standards. Listen, these people, they might be far from Jesus, but they are looking for meaning. And if you're a missionary, can you answer the question, how do they see their work? Why do they see it that way? What causes them to see work the way that they see it? How could the gospel and the story of a living, dying, and living again Christ, how can that change the way they see their job even if their job never changes? Right? One-third of their working years, one-third of their time will be spent at work. This is as relevant as it's going to get for a missionary right? So being a good missionary means speaking clearly and vividly on where they spend half of their waking hours. And that means you and me getting a functional theology of work and finding the gospel even in passages like this that it doesn't just spell it out, right? As we've seen, work is not ruining us. This is the first plank of maybe a good functional theology. It's not work at all. The problem is with us, right? You see, We tend to walk around thinking that our work is cursed because it's so hard. But it's actually not work that is cursed. It's the ground that is cursed. I'll show you where I get that. This is going to be in Genesis 3, okay? Genesis 3. You can stay where you're at if you don't want to turn there. We'll put it up on the screen. And this is at the fall. Verse 17. And to Adam, this is the Lord, saying, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, And if eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's the ground that's cursed. It's creation. That means you and me too, by the way. We as well were cursed in this moment. We're the apex of God's creation, the very tippy top. But work isn't cursed. Work is beautiful. It actually existed before the fall. If you go back one chapter to Genesis 2, it says that the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. To work it and keep it. You see, before they were covered in heavy skins and before they were covered in shame, they were able to keep creation, work, collect it, steward it, and it was a joy, and they loved it. I mean, every day ended better than it started. That's not how it is for us, right? We usually wake up with big hopes for the day, and it kind of dwindles by the time we get to break time. And then we're just lucky to get out the door, right? We're all singing Johnny Paycheck under our breath. That's usually how the average day goes. But for them, the the day would escalate with joy. Because the earth would yield its strength to them. Nothing fought against them. Everything fought with them. Moved with them. No frustration at all. Every day was a brand new joy. They were able to work with no pain. No fatigue. No aches, no eye strain, no confusion. They never had to rub their head and just, just, just kind of try to figure out painstakingly how to fix a problem because there were no problems and everything came easily to them. We can't even imagine a day like this, your favoriteest day at work, where you can wear whatever you want. There's donuts on the counter when you walk in. Is not like this day. After the fall, things changed. Adam would feel sweat for the first time, roll down his head and think, what is this? What is this? this? This blood from my hand as I grabbed the thorn, never felt a thorn before. There it is. He'd feel exhaustion. He'd collapse into bed at the end of the day, I guess you could say. He'd wake up and be frustrated, capital F, because he just pulled weeds the day before and there's new weeds to replace them, right there in the same place. What changed? When man fell, all of the relationships that he had were broken. Man's relationship with the Creator, broken. Man's relationship with creation, including each other, broken. Man's relationship with himself, even broken. All relationships broken. We feel this today, don't we? Unless you gotta feel this today. I was, my wife, she's so patient with me. Last Saturday, not yesterday, but last Saturday, we changed, I changed, we changed. I guess we'd call it a team effort. You were there the whole time, bless your heart. But we changed some lights on the outside of our house, two above one door and two above the other door. And, and, and listen, that was, that was not a moment of life-giving, tank-filling joy. There was, there was not a lot of synergy in that whole thing. We, we had to figure out what what breaker it was. When we moved into the house, no one labeled the breakers. So we've been playing that fun game of trying to figure out what breaker goes with everything. So I'm standing at the breaker. We're yelling through our phones, trying to figure out are the lights off? No. How about now? No, we did that until we finally found the breaker. That's, that, that's, that's fighting against me. It's not going with me. Looking for a ladder that's not too tall but also not too short as well, that was difficult. I had to bring a can of wasp spray because those jokers were circling for the kill. And by the time I got the ladder out there, got all the tools out there, I realized I have to read the directions for these things multiple times because it's not like your normal light. Of course not, right? And so I just thought, I got to get this down because it's very difficult. I don't want to cuss in my heart and be a donkey all day to my wife. I want this to go smoothly. And by the time we got it all ready to go, I'm only on that ladder for five minutes and my shirt is soaking wet, right? Because it's like we live in Jurassic Park right now. Everything is humid. Bugs are big. And I dropped the smallest screw ever made no less than 93 times because I have these snicker bar fingers and I had to get this little screw in this little thing. Lost a piece of my weekend, earned myself a sunburn, got a headache, cut myself, and it's all Adam's fault. (laughs) All of it. Could have been a fun day. Could have been a life-giving event, the changing of the lights. But no, this is going to be a grind. It's going to be frustration the entire time. Think about it. If you have a physical job, your muscles ache, right, your back hurts. If you work on a laptop all day, right, what does it do? Crane your neck, you lean over the keyboard, you have unimpressive posture, right? Eye strain, carpal tunnel. And, and it's, it's not just the frustration of the body, our soul's frustration can catch up with it and be just as frustrated, right? It'd be one thing if your job was hard on your body but it just checked all the boxes of your soul. But it doesn't even do that either, does it? Even if your work is successful, even if you're very good at it and you enjoy it, even if it's better than you could have ever dreamed, even if you're one of those people that say, I would do this for free. I love it so much. We all know that person, right? I would do this for free. Even you would admit that there is no such thing as a day at work without toil. Toil exists. Nothing yields its strength to you. It fights you. That's why work is work. This is what James Smith says in his book On the Road with St. Augustine. He says, just when you think friendship or wealth or a family or influence was your ultimate destination, you hang out there for a while and the place starts to dim. What once held your fascination even for a time seemed like it was your reason to live doesn't do it for you anymore. You won't admit it to yourself for a long while. After all, you effectively told everyone you'd arrived. You believed it yourself, But at some point, you'll finally be honest with yourself about the disappointment, and eventually that disappointment becomes disdain, and you can't wait to get away. That's the way it is, even for good jobs. You know, the same Solomon talks the book before this in Proverbs, and he commends hard work. But here he testifies that even hard work without God bringing us our ultimate satisfaction and ultimate meaning is vanity. Or as Smith says, our ultimate destination that held all of our fascination, it becomes disappointment. And that disappointment turns into disdain until we just can't wait to get away from it. So you see our theology is starting to build of work, right? Work is beautiful, but it's hard for us. It's hard because our relationship with creator and creation is fractured. It's begging for an answer. So we'll produce but it'll never come easy. You'll struggle physically, emotionally, and mentally. And so what do we do in response to work? We break it. We break it by demanding that it bring to you and me ultimate meaning. I mean, he, he talks about these three portraits. We're going to fly through them because you're going to fit one of them. You're going to fit in one of them. One is the person that uses hard work to be the best person in the room, competitive rivalry, envy. Envy is the big picture thing here. It's, it's an envy that comes when someone is not satisfied with who God is. They need their job to step in and be a replacement. We look across the cul-de-sac and we say, I deserve what they have. We look on Instagram and we say, they have something I can get and I deserve that. Listen, so much of our sin is born of saying, I want what you have. Envy, don't ever underestimate envy. Envy. It was the reason for the very first murder. (laughs) When murder wasn't even a thing, like it wasn't even a word. We found fratricide, brother killing brother. We see Cain killing Abel because he had something that he wanted. It was envy. And if envy is going to fuel the very first murder in human history, don't think it won't cause some of us to work our fingers to the bone to get something that somebody else has. Envy. Listen, if you're an overworker in the room, I'm talking to you. This is classic overworker. I'm an overworker. I, I get you. I'm tempted always to overwork. That's my constant temptation, right? I know what it's like to look across the, ro- the, the row or, or look across the, the aisle and say, I, if that guy can do it, I can do it. If she can do that good, I can do it better. And what that means is it means more hours, more risks, which means more anxiety, more work, more working weekends, more stress, more fatigue, Because if work gets it done, more work gets it done more, right? So overworkers, this first little profile, work becomes a vehicle that brings meaning. And we do it for our own glory, not the Lord's. And he says it's futile. Now we're able to hide behind this, your classic overworker is. Because in our culture today, it's a very noble thing to be a hard worker. And I'm here to say there's nothing wrong with hard work. right? Hard work's not the problem, it's what we're trying to get by our hard work that is the problem so we're trying to seize and squeeze out of the moment overwork and this is a classic misinterpretation overwork is not working more than 40 hours 40 hours is an american construct we came up with i don't even know when right you can work 60 70 hour work weeks hear me now you can work 60 and 70 hour work weeks and just be working hard okay not be overworking it's not a sin against the lord you just worked really hard that week you can work 30 hours and be overworking overworking is when there's a work behind the work there's something behind the work you're trying to get something from that work that God has already given us through the cross that's a classic overworker work's not the problem hard work's not the problem it's what we're trying to do through that work second profile is no better it's the opposite end of the extreme it's the dropout who hates these frantic rivalries right He actually talks about it a little bit in Proverbs. Same guy. He says in Proverbs 6, stay where you're at. He says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? Right? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This person has inertia too. It's just away from work. (laughs) It's not towards it. This person's not going to overwork. They're not going to clock in and have overtime. Not this person. They have a complacency that's going to drift towards self-destruction. That's why it uses the phrase, eats his own flesh. It's a weird little phrase. We don't use it today. It just means they're coming apart. They're self-destructing, right? Idleness. And that's what idleness and laziness will do. It erodes us. We erode in our self-control. That's why people that struggle with laziness when it comes to work, they struggle in self-control in other areas, too. It's the first thing to go. It erodes and eats away our self-respect. It actually eats away our grip on reality, too. Have you ever been around a person that struggles with deep laziness and idleness? They have a twisted way of looking at how the world is treating them. That's why if this is a struggle that you have, you probably already have position. I don't even get through this example, and you already have an excuse, a reason, and it might even sound spiritual. I don't want to get caught up in the rat race. I don't want to get caught up in, in just overworking. Luke, you just said how difficult overwork is. I just want to stay away from that. And that's what you hide behind. Or maybe it's somebody else's fault. It's their fault that I'm not a hard worker. It's this group's fault. It's this thing's fault. Some commentators here, and I've heard a few pastors say that in this portrait, rest is what's elevated over toil that this is uh, uh, maybe elevating rest is something that is beautiful and they're, they're using this passage for it. I'm gonna go ahead and disagree right there and that this is why, rest is more than not working. In inactivity, it's not always rest. Laziness, idleness is not always restful. Just because you're still doesn't mean you're resting. You might just be lazy, might just be lazy. You see, rest has a purpose, <laughs> it's a pause positioned with strategy between blocks of hard work. It's where we refresh. It's where we trickle charge. It's when we're prepared after hard work for more hard work. That's what rest is supposed to do. Idleness, or what he calls a folding of the hands, it moves in the opposite direction from work. It doesn't cooperate with work. It doesn't move alongside work. It's not sandwiched in between hard moments. I mean, idleness just says there's no work at all. There's always going to be a cooperation between rest and work, which is why when you work really hard, you want to what? Rest really hard. You work really long, you want to rest a longer time. Idleness isn't the same. It doesn't cooperate with work. It disagrees with work. It's a flat line. It's a flat line. So if this is you, you're not better than the overworker. You just have a different idol. Maybe it's not security or identity. Maybe it's just comfort. And listen, you're right. The way our economy is set up, it is a dog eat dog economy, is it not? I mean, it's at its worst. It is very self obsessed. It's very survival of the fittest, and you want to escape that, and I get it. I get it. You're still trapped inside of yourself, though, looking for ultimate meaning, maybe not in work, but outside of it, by not doing it, by refusing it. The third portrait is a lot more brief, and it's a little bit odd. It's the person who breaks work by compulsively stacking money to feed an endless craving with no end in sight, and they don't even know why the goal is their goal. They don't even know why they're doing what they do. Why am I doing all of this? Is the question they ask. That's kind of loaded with loneliness, is it not? Why am I even doing this? It's like a drone, like a broken machine just working. Eyes never satisfied, just stacking money, just clocking in repeatedly over and over again. We don't even know why we're doing the same thing. We don't even know where we got the goal. We don't even know why we keep the goal. We just know that the goal of life is to make money, and that's what I'm just going to keep doing. I think one of the silver linings I've seen in the pandemic hard stop that we've had, and this is especially true with those who have been furloughed, but I'd say it's also true with those who have either lost their job or their work has had to change so radically that it's pushed their vocation into this existential realm where they're asking very real questions. I've heard a few people, even at Legacy, say, I don't even know if I want to go back to work. I don't even know if I want to go back to this job. Like, I, To be honest, I just don't know what I'm doing there. Maybe this is an opportunity for me to pivot And we probably all have stories of people that we know who have done that very thing. Why are they just now having those conversations? Because their heads are out of the weeds for the first time. It was provoked by the pandemic. They can't go back to work. So they're not in the grind. They're able to kind of come up for air and say, why am I doing all of this exactly? Why? Why? For what? For what reason? See, we're not really left with any answers In Ecclesiastes, just observations and frustrating ones at that about how we ruin work. We've said that every single week we've looked at Ecclesiastes. It's not a book of answers. (laughs) No answers for you in there. It's a book of questions. The rest of the Bible will give you answers. The gospel will most certainly give you answers. But here, hard observations. And this is why Labor Day has lost its value for us. We don't celebrate work, we ruin it, we loathe it, we abuse it. But listen, what if work wasn't needed for ultimate meaning? What if there's a fourth portrait of a Christ-centered, Jesus-shaped employee, worker, entrepreneur? I mean, toil would still remain. You'd still have toil, there'd still be thorns and thistles, but even in the, in the midst of all of that, you'd have ultimate meaning. With the eye strain and the exhaustion, you would still have ultimate meaning that was given to you by Christ. I mean, let me explain what I mean. One of my favorite parts about the gospel story is that Jesus actually reverses the curse against creation, the one that we just read in Genesis 3. When Jesus comes, he reverses the curse, right? What obliterated us in the garden is repaired in Christ. The the fractured relationship I just addressed between us and our Creator is fixed, the fracture is mended. Jesus repaired this break by working. It's a special kind of work. It's the work of being righteous, perfectly righteous, perfectly good, perfect in the law, perfect in how he lived, sufficient in how he died, beautiful in how he rose again. This work provides rest for us. Because Christ worked, you can rest. That's the idea. Our ultimate meaning is centered in how God views you and me. No no longer does God view you as someone who better get his or her stuff together. No, No longer does God view you as a person who has a list of plus or minuses behind your name, depending on how well behaved or how good you perform. Christ did all of the work so that you don't have to work for that love and approval and acceptance. We can rest. And friends, let me hear Your job cannot do what Christ has done. Your job is never gonna be able to fill in and do and give you the ultimate meaning that this realization of what God has done for us can give you. Your job's never gonna give you the identity that would be ultimate to you. It's never gonna give you an ultimate security. It's never gonna give you an ultimate comfort. When we believe that God is sufficient and ultimate in meaning, it changes how we interact with toil and rest and work. I mean, just consider the Sabbath for a moment. Some of you, you don't have a deep knowledge of the Sabbath. You just need to know that the Jewish nation, they got it as a gift. It was a gift from God to the Jewish nation. I'll just shotgun it for you real quick. Remember, this is a nation that they worked seven days a week. They didn't have a rest. They made bricks, they made it out in the sun. It was soul-crushing, back-breaking work. They did it, their kids did it, their grandkids did it, and you did it until you died. No days off, no three-day weekends. And then God comes and gives them a gift of the Sabbath. Now, they work hard six days a week and they rest on the seventh. And even that would be an image and a celebration of how God created for six days and rested on the seventh. I mean, they took this so seriously, they even rested the land. Every seventh year, they wouldn't grow crops. They would rest the land. Now, there was certainly work to be done. Other nations were doing it. They worked seven days a week. They didn't They didn't stop planting things in the field on the seventh day. But this would be a picture. This would be an illustration of God's people resting in the arms of a sufficiently active God, a God who gives meaning. And the only reason this would be happening in your Bible, and the only reason you read it in the Old Testament is because it comes to a crescendo in the New Testament where it all is pulled into focus by Christ coming who would plow for you and me. And he would work so that you and I could be not just a people who enjoy a Sabbath, but a people of the Sabbath. That we have an eternal Sabbath. We are God's Sabbath people, a people who rest from our work to be approved and loved and safe. By the way, if you have a, a weak knowledge of the Sabbath, you want to learn how to rest more in a Sabbath or what a Sabbath is, on the blog page of our website, I put a chapter there's a book I wrote on it. There's a free chapter on there. It's a PDF. You could download it. It might help you a little bit. Just let me remind you it was written to pastors and leaders but it's going to have very helpful information in there on what a Sabbath is. I just want you to see that in this passage there's a lot for us to repent for. We break work by overworking and underworking in a way that shows we're trying to get ultimate satisfaction and meaning outside of Christ. It's, it's an area of disbelief. When we break work, it's because we don't believe God is ultimate. We don't believe that he is sufficient. We don't believe that he's going to give us great comfort or identity or security. We don't believe he can get the job done. We don't believe that the gospel is good enough news. And so we need our employer to step in and hopefully give us what we've always wanted. Our employers are not going to do that. In Solomon's case, even if you work for yourself, it's not happening. So the big Labor Day question we have is how I work a commentary on how I see God. Is how I work a commentary on how I see God? Do you overwork? Do you underwork? Do you rest or are you just lazy? Why are you trying to make money? Listen, if you don't know the answers to these, ask your spouse or your best friend. They'll help you. They'll tell you the truth, right? And some of you are at a point where you're like, yeah, but my job stinks. I hear you, I hear you, but my job stinks. You just don't get it. Listen, again, like I said last week, I can't get into the weeds in 36 minutes, right? I can't get into the weeds of what a gospel application is to a job that stinks. There is another article underneath the one I just said, a link to another article that will help you understand, how do I glorify God in a job that stinks? I encourage you to go and look at it. But there is room for us to repent here by breaking work and breaking rest. And listen, for those of us who are missionaries to this city, to the ones we love, our city is full of envious overworkers. Our city is full of lazy fools, too. Can you walk alongside them and help them see what they're really looking for? Can you help them see what it is that they're doing to their job, what they want their job to deliver? Can you retell a story of a working and resting God who comes as a working and resting Jesus to build a working and resting people for the glory of God? Can you retell that story in a way that makes sense to them? Because listen, there's going to be a day where toil finally ends. It's the end of our beautiful story. The residue of the fall is going to have a hard stop. I can't wait for this. A A day with no headaches, no migraines, No sunburns, no mean bosses, no overtime. There's going to be a day. Until that day, we have Christ. A Christ is our ultimate meaning so that we are free to work hard properly and free to rest properly. We're free to preach the gospel with our mouths through our own work as well. We're free to do that. We're free from breaking work because we don't need it to be Jesus to us anymore. We don't need it. Where do you have ultimate meaning. We have it because we're a Sabbath people from a working God. So go ahead and stand with me and I'm going to pray with you and what we're going to do is, is we're going to take communion together as a church. And that'll be how we finish this little section before the team comes up or the team can come up now um, and just play in the background because this won't take long. But listen, if you were not able to grab communion elements whenever you came in and you want to take communion with us, if you raise your hand They'll come around with the elements and they will pass them out for you. So, if you just actually need one myself, too, you could just pitch it to me. I'm pretty, I got good hands. But if you want to take communion with us, and listen, if you are a Christian and you love Christ, We invite you to take this with us. If you're just looking and you're a skeptic and you're trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing, don't worry about this part. Just kind of stand there with us. I invite you to take Christ instead, and I invite you to follow along and pray with us, but you don't have to take this. I don't want you to feel any obligation to do that. This is something that we do as a church. Got me? You're the best. Thank you. I'm gonna read a passage to you as we take this, and this is out of 1 Corinthians. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaking to a church a lot smaller than this one even. And he says this in verse 23 of chapter 11 For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. He's talking about the gospel. Before Paul could deliver the gospel, he had to receive it. That's what he's saying. Before he could make it alive, and active and compelling and fascinating for others. Before he could plant churches on the foundation of it, he had to receive it himself. For I received what the Lord, received from the Lord, what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the let's take the bread together. Just pull back that clear part of the package it should pop right out. If it didn't work for you, it's not you, I promise. It takes practice. So Father, we thank you for being good to us. You allowed your body to be broken and you in fact came for the reason to have your body broken. That our work would stop. Our work and our toil just to be lovable. Our heart's desire is to be lovable to you. And we'll do anything it takes. And yet, as as much as we try, as hard as we work, we can't make ourselves lovable enough. And so Father, you come yourself. You meet your own demands. You come and you work in our stead. You work where we cannot. You are perfect where we're never able to be perfect. You followed the law because we never could. And your body broken for us is a gift to us. He says in verse 25, in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's take take the cup together. And Lord, as you... Spill your blood out on the altar. Lord, it would be the last suffering sacrifice to cleanse the sin of man. The last priest and the last sacrifice on the shoulders of the last king. And Father, you came for outlaws and villains. You came for criminals and vandals. And you gave yourself, and you poured out your own blood, that again our work would stop. He goes on to say in verse 26 For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's death, it's just a simple way of saying the gospel or the death and the life. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you preach the gospel until he comes. That's what we just did. It sounds odd. We preached the gospel as we did that, right? Because just as Paul said, we receive this before we're able to give it. Because if I say you just preach the gospel, who did you preach it to? Lights are down, your neighbors aren't even in here. You preached it to yourself. You preached the gospel to yourself. You applied the gospel to yourself. And it's when we receive it and are resolved in it and are fascinated by it and are intoxicated by the gospel that we're able to extend it in a way that makes a very big difference to those who are very far from Christ but looking for meaning. Let me just pray for you and then I'll give the mic over to the guys here. Father, we thank you for this communion. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for being good and kind and strong in your work and consistent in your work and committed. your work you didn't break work you didn't underwork you didn't overwork you perfectly stepped into labor you felt the thorns you felt the thistles you felt the strain creation fought against you and you did all of this perfectly as a glory to your father and you did it for us that we could come along and take the benefit we're a people of rest now Our souls can take a deep breath because you accept us and you approve us. On our worst days, you love us deeply. And on our best days, you don't love us anymore. We are in your arms. We are children in your family, loved, approved, adopted, held tightly forever and ever and ever. And we're so thankful. And we're thankful for the day that is coming and I can only barely imagine the edges of it where work doesn't stop, but work is beautiful all the time with no toil and strain and thorns and thistles. It won't be by the sweat of our brow that we eat anything. We'll be radiated by the glory that you give off. You'll replace the sun and the moon and we will work to your glory forever and ever with increasing joy as we celebrate what you have done for us. Until that day, Father, help us see how we look at work. Help us see how we're tempted to lean. What is it we're trying to get? Help this be a Labor Day where we celebrate the work you have done for us. And help this be a Labor Day weekend where we see how we break work and how we can apply the gospel to that. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.